0: Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the TFC Audio Project. On this episode of Shop Talk, Mike and I talk about acute injuries, icing, and using anti-inflammatories. Almost everyone's going to encounter an acute injury at some point in their lives, so we wanted to cover the basics of how to manage them initially, unpack the role of inflammation, and talk about two things that a lot of people do, but might not really be the best idea in managing acute injuries, and those are icing and taking anti-inflammatories. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by our biggest project to date yet at TFC, and that's the TFC app. The app isn't ready for public download yet, but the team's been working hard to create what we consider to be the most awesome health experience available to date. The app will be free for everyone, and based on your profile and the preferences you select, you'll be able to filter through all of our content and create a personalized education feed with the content types you enjoy most on the topics that you want to learn about. To stay updated on features we're working on, and for public release date estimates, visit thefootcollective.com slash app, A-P-P. This episode is also brought to you by The Roasters Pack. Our team at TFCHQ are big fans of coffee, and this Canadian company provides a unique subscription service that delivers you three great coffees to your door each month and gives you the story behind the craft roasters that they each come from. Check out theroasterspack.com and use the code FOOT at checkout for 7 bucks off your first month of any subscription which starts at 27 a month, including shipping and taxes, so great value. Last but not least, this episode is also sponsored by our travel partner, Nanook Protective Hard Cases, which we use to transport gear for our seminars and workshops. They make super high-quality cases in Canada that keep your electronics safe during travel, and you can check out their cases at nanook.com, N-A-N-U-K dot That's it for sponsors, let's dig into this episode. Hope you enjoy. It's the TFC Audio Project. It's a collective effort. Help people understand their bodies starting at the feet are the gateway for people to see that there's an issue. You know, a foot conversation is always a whole body conversation. Hey friends, Nick and Mike here, back for another episode of Shop Talk. And today we want to talk about a few topics that affect a lot of people and serve as great examples about how silly the medical system can be. Uh, We're going to chat about anti-inflammatories. Well, we're going to talk about acute inflammation in general, and then we'll... Kind of unpack how we currently use anti-inflammatories and use ice, and review some important concepts around the management of acute injuries, um, specifically with those two kind of elements. So I think they're, you know, kind of glaring examples of how narrow-minded our drug intervention strategies are, and how we feel we're we can outsmart the body when the body's actually in reality very good at what it does in terms of protecting us. Um, or healing us when something goes wrong so maybe let's start with just acute inflammation in general what it is what the mechanisms are and then we can kind of go off and talk about anti-inflammatories and ice but i think giving people an idea of what inflammation actually is because i think the term inflammation gets thrown around a lot and i think a lot of times it's more in the context of chronic inflammation but acute inflammation is this very beautiful mechanism that we've evolved, and we seem to think we can outsmart it. And by doing that, we might actually be causing it to not happen as well. Like we might, oftentimes, we inhibit it by trying to think that we are actually helping to suppress something that's bad. When in reality, it's actually a very beneficial mechanism. Mm-hmm. And what we learn in school, and this was like drilled
1: home in us, is that inflammation is just the the first stage of healing. Yeah. So it goes inflammation, and then prol- proliferation. And that's kind of where there's there's more like actual healing taking place uh, in terms of like collagen synthesis, granulation tissue, like scar tissue formation, and then finally there's remodeling, and that's where like the final stages of healing get worked in. Uh, tissues develop more tensile strength and stuff. But if we backtrack to the inflammation part, that's just that first stage of healing, and that's when we get you know a cut, a, an injury, um, a laceration, um, even even things like. Uh, fractures and things like that there's an inflammatory response and basically that's just the cascade of chemicals um, and healing cells that are that are like shunted to the area and it's like you said it's the body saying like okay we're going to send all these resources to the area because we need to heal and we need to we need to start the process of healing
0: yeah yeah it's your body mobilizing resources to a place where it thinks it needs them right there was some sort of insult so uh, you know we talked about before like you have an ankle sprain you roll your ankle there's a lot you can do to prevent you from rolling your ankle in the first place. But the reality is that acute injuries, if you're using your body, you know, whether that's sports or you're active or whatnot, bad luck happens, Ac- acute injuries are going to happen. You're going to tweak certain areas, you're going to hurt yourself, you're going to cut yourself. And so just knowing the basic management principles of how to make sure that that acute injury heals well and heals quickly, I think is beneficial for everyone. Like this is this is another one of those things where, you know, I think it's a very easy topic to teach in terms of just the basic general concepts, it's very applicable to everyone. Why don't we learn the basics of acute injury management in high school? It's, I mean, it's going to affect everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that initial inflammation, like you said, is the body mobilizing its resources, saying, okay, there's, an, there's a problem here. Let's send all the healing chemicals and all kind of new healing cells to that area of injury and let's also remove all the crap that's damaged and recycle it and and kind of digest it and get rid of it Mm -hmm. so there's it's so crazy that we think anti-inflammatories or we we, people have this weird skewed perception of heat of inflammation is bad and i think it's necessary and it's necessary like if
1: you look at like a little deeper into what happens these inflammatory mediators like histamine and bradykinin, they these things are they're like the, that acute response to inflammation these chemicals that are sent in so they do things the chemicals yeah, actually important. do things and a big thing of what they do is they cause vasodilation um so the is like when we expand blood vessels so that is why what is that for expansion of blood vessels is so more blood can get to the area they're opening up the freeway exactly so there's a reason why these chemicals increase blood flow because blood flow equals healing blood flow is where other healing factors can actually be shunted to the area as well um so it's this beautiful response that the body's uh, evolved to uh over time and and then like you say we'll get into like the why what we do about it and why it's kind of insane but but that (laughs) vasodilation is just one of the keys um, and that brings these other factors that help the healing process so it's a good thing um it's really it's really a necessary thing and it's a good thing and one of the other things it does is these chemicals that are released they do um, they do actually irritate the nerve endings in the area and they're shown to actually increase pain um, and I think that's why probably we, we've get so uh, fearful of it because mm-hmm. it, it is associated with with pain Um and we get really fearful when pain is is in the in the picture. But pain is actually a good thing in a lot of these cases because it's just that natural protective response. If you sprain your ankle and it swells up and it's painful, it's like, okay, well, again, that's your body saying don't go for a sprint right now. It's probably good to uh, relatively rest it, just get off of it a little bit um, yeah. as this healing process takes place. So that pain is associated
0: with the healing as well. It's, it is just one in the same. Um, it's what allows healing to happen, right? Like it's, and this whole thing of just complete rest and not moving whatsoever, we're going to talk about that in a bit and how that's definitely not the best way to go because, you know, when you talk about inflammation, like I always tell people to think about an an acute injury in the context of like um, a bridge, something going wrong on a bridge. So one of the pillars of a bridge breaks, the bridge falls down. Okay, that's like an injury. What do you need to do well you need to get a construction crew to come in and bring in new materials to rebuild the bridge you need another crew to basically take all the broken materials and all the damaged crap and clear it from the site of injury so that the 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 new crew can actually rebuild that area so you need an inflow and you need an out outflow Mm -hmm. if the crew trying to take shit away from all the damaged stuff can't get out it creates congestion if the crew that needs to come repair it can't get in then there's no ability for it to heal Exactly, and keeping those two gateways open, keeping those the the traffic moving so that the new stuff can come in and the old stuff can leave, movement is actually what promotes what promotes that, right like muscles pumping is actually what allows new stuff to come in and old stuff to leave, so this whole complete rest thing you essentially put a halt and and slow down the entire progress of that whole process happening, and so you know, I think the term rest has been kind of taken in the wrong context of complete rest which is easy um and i think that's part of the reason why people do it they're like oh i'm hurt i'm just not going to do anything but and it's not to say go run a marathon but it's you know understand what's happening and understand that continuing to move is actually what helps to speed up the healing as long as you've ruled out significant problems like a fracture or dislocation or something
1: exactly so yeah and that's like the first i don't know if some of our listeners have heard the term RICE. So that's what we commonly use for acute injuries. And, and you'll hear it thrown around in medical offices and sport sport injury clinics and stuff. Um, and What that is is rest, um, ice compression elevation. So you just talked about the rest part. And I think, like you said, that's misconstrued a lot of the time because it's, it's relative rest. It's not absolute rest. Yeah, A lot of people go on like bed rest from low back <laughs> injuries and, and ankle sprains and stuff. Um, the, the next thing, ice, is, is one of the main things that we can get into now i think because um even the was that guy the like the which the father of sport medicine as gabe well merkin
0: yeah was his name he's the why he's the guy who basically coined uh the term rice so gabe merkin wrote a book in 1978 called the sport medicine book and he turned the coin or he coined the term um rice so like you said rest ice compression elevation um uh, in, in terms of the treatment for athletic injuries and you know, rest, the theory was you got to let the the body part rest so that I can heal. Okay, that's fine. And we put kind of the asterisk there where it's relative rest instead of just complete rest. Ice was the second one. And this one seems to so first of all, I want to say that Gabe Merkin is actually one of the biggest advocates for not using ice for acute injuries, because he he basically came redacted saying we should be icing acute injuries and came out and said, you know what, we shouldn't be icing acute injuries. This is the effect that icing them has, and this is not aligned with promoting a healing response. And then compression, elevation, those were both things where, you know, compression avoids this congestion of inflammatory fluids from staying in one spot, right? We talked about the construction crew. It stops things from, you know... um, the compression stops things from pooling, right? It stops congestion. And then elevation allows you to use gravity to help clear away some of those fluids too. Because inflammation mm-hmm. and swelling is are not bad things. This is part of the inflammatory response. The problem is when inflammation and swelling pools and doesn't leave the site of injury. And
1: if you're moving it to some extent, that would also take care of it Like even doing like an ankle sprain, if you were doing ankle pumps and, you know, putting some feather weight bearing on it and just kind of moving it regularly throughout the day, that's going to take care of the compression elevation anyways, right?
0: Exactly. So so that almost takes care of that. So we're left with the the ice. Yeah. and, And his theory was that by icing, you would reduce inflammation. And I think even with that said, so number one, not only does it not reduce inflammation, but we just talked about how inflammation is your body's healing right? It's yeah. the it's healing response. So stopping inflammation or reducing inflammation is actually technically replace the word inflammation with healing, you're stopping healing, or you're reducing healing and it's like ice ice vasoconstricts and what do we talk about inflammation
1: being the the chemicals that are directly released in inflammation cause vasodilation so we're saying okay the body's naturally wanting vasodilation because of this injury because Mm -hmm. this is the first stage of healing and we're saying okay let's put something on it that vasoconstricts and tries to prevent that from happening so
0: we kind of just think like humans are so arrogant and we think we know everything we think we know better than a million years of evolution and this perfect mechanism that developed in the body to heal ourselves we're literally healing machines. Mm-hmm. Um we think we can outsmart it and just be like oh we don't we don't want that inflammation. And, and it it, just it, that became the gold standard. That's the craziest mm-hmm. part. Is like even up to like 3 or 4 years ago when I worked in a sport med facility in London, people still iced acute injuries. And I had to argue to with the them. St- well, say, yeah, this is crazy. It's- to this day, I think it's the most common thing that
1: people think to do right when they get an injury. And even like they're told by their doctors, like you say, it's not just like the average person. It's it's kind of stemmed down to them, but yeah. it's thrown around still in medical. The first thing you'll hear is ice and Advil. Ice and Advil if you get like an ankle sprain. <laughs>
0: so crazy. Um, anyway, but Gabe Merkin actually came out saying this is the wrong approach. We shouldn't be icing acute injuries. Um, but, you know, no one in the medical industry seems to have taken... It just shows that they're really not up to date on on the most recent stuff because all you have to do is look at this guy that came out with that statement in the first place and say, oh, he's actually saying we shouldn't do that. We came out with better knowledge. We realized that this is not helping. It's actually hindering the ability to heal. Um, and yet people still do these kind of ancient practices as just the gold standard. And it's so whack. It's crazy. I just said a thought it, it, like ice didn't ice wasn't available to most of the
1: world for most <laughs> so of existence fringes. because no one had refrigeration until like yeah. very recently so how did they how, no but yeah that's just one thing it's just cavemen didn't ice their their leg when it hurt <laughs> yeah ice is that just way. this weird thing anyways but uh so that's just kind of an example and then the same could be said about NSAIDs. so NSAIDs are non-ster- non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs and that's kind of the most like Advil if you think about Advil or yeah, ibuprofen ibuprofen um these are some of the most commonly prescribed drugs for a lot of things prescribed and just taken like and a lot taken. of people take them yeah. without being prescribed because they're over the counter i looked up a statin 5 to 10% of all medications prescribed each year are uh nsaids but like you say they've they've become um, you were talking about how they were first designed for something specific and then it's almost like the, the drug companies have this this thing where they're like, oh, we're trying to design it for this. But like, oh, wait, it works for this and it works for this too. Why don't we just like market it to everybody now? So like take it for everything, like he- headaches, uh, any aches and pains,
0: um, injuries. Yeah. You like, got any problems? Oh, pop this agile. little blue pill yeah. and, and, you're, and you're great. Yeah. It, so it was basically researched in the 50s and 60s as a safer alternative to aspirin. Um, and the guy that discovered it filed the patent in 1961. This is ibuprofen. And he initially tested the drug as a treatment for his own hangover. Um, and then the drug basically came out. They they framed it as a drug for the treatment of rheumatoid arthritis. And then later when it became over-the-counter, it became the drug of choice basically for anything. Oh, you hurt your toe? Take Advil. Take Advil. Mm. Like everyone's taking ibuprofen, Advil um, as this very... Strange substance that, you know, and and we talked about this before. Number one, anti-inflammatory equals anti-healing. So to stop inflammation is the dumbest thing ever. Like you want to make it, you want to take much longer to heal and reduce the quality of your healing. Perfect. Take a bunch of these blue pills. That's really how it should be prescribed.
1: When you look at the, like the simplistic mechanisms of it all and you tie it all together, like, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense at all. And I I looked into the, the, basically the pathway for, for NSAIDs and what it does is... Uh, they're they 're c o x inhibitors, so cox inhibitors, and what they what that is is that 's just an enzyme that um, that produces prostaglandins and these prostaglandins are basically promoters of inflammation, and so basically it 's blocking this pathway that that increases yeah. this inflammatory response um, The prostaglandins promote inflammation they also support the function of healing cells uh, and platelets. Um, which are necessary for clotting and, and again, kickstarting that whole response. So you're actually taking, re- getting rid of these like even like clotting factors when you have any sort of uh, internal injury or external injury, like a cut. Um, so it's like everything is wrong with that because you're just, you're basically interrupting that whole mechanism that your body is like, like we've talked about, produce this whole response over time. And then you're like, hey, stop it. And then it's like, boom. <laughs> and there's these weird chemicals that go in and fight. They fight this response. And your body's like, wait a minute, we're trying to heal. And it's like no, we're not. We're going to stop this pathway. Yeah. Um. But you then the, not allowed the f- to heal. The fact that we're so addicted to these is so is is mesmerizing because. And I used to be in that same boat. I a pop, a, I'd pop out. I'd get headaches all the time, and I would pop Advil for them. So I was probably taking a few Advils per week. Um. You, you know here. I would you, crush, you get uh, injury from I, <laughs> hockey. Uh, same thing. Like you, you tweak your back in hockey, and then you'd be on Advil for four days. Like you're, I was on them all the time, and I think a lot of athletes i thought like a lot of general public, but I think a lot of athletes specifically too that are like living off this stuff. They have Advil in their
0: gym bags. For sure. And it's like... I remember your dad got those sample packs from Advil. Yeah. Like as a doctor. And I remember having a little pouch of those in my rugby training bag. And yeah. I would just crush a couple of them. Sometimes I would take them before, before. practice because so I was like, oh, I'm going to be sore as shit after this. Yeah. It's almost just
1: it's like, crazy. here's what you do. And no one tells you why you're doing it or you like you just think that's what you do and you think it's harmful because it's almost like this the beautiful marketing that was done
0: yeah that everyone thinks that this is what you should do and side note let's talk about some adverse effects of ibuprofen which i don't think people even know this happens but the (laughs) adverse effects include nausea diarrhea constipation gi or gastrointestinal ulceration and bleeding headache dizziness fluid retention high blood pressure there's a lot of other ones. And I think the biggest one is, you know, we talked about before, let's look at this drug as like a net positive, net negative. Mm-hmm. And it's actually, it was almost confusing. And I, I was like, okay, I think I'm missing something here because not only does it inhibit the healing response, it actually is super harmful to the intestinal lining, to like your stomach lining and your intestinal, yeah. like it, it increases intestinal permeability. Guess what that is? Leaky gut. Guess what people are talking about now? The gut, because it's very important, and we just pop these little blue pills that wreak havoc on our intestinal lining and on our stomach. And it's actually to inhibit a healing response in our body. What the hell is going on here? This <laughs> the is, and doctors negative. are prescribing this. You'd think that oh, it's crazy because that was a concept. Like you,
1: you think that if there was a positive, we could for we could get a you know get away with having some sort of positive. And like you say, is it like the negative? Does it outweigh the positive, or does the positive outweigh the negative? You would hope that a positive would outweigh negatives. You would hope that there would be ideally hardly any negatives when you're dealing with drugs. But this is a case, like you say, where there is no positive, so it can't weigh out it. It can't weigh out any negative. It's like a double negative. Yeah.
0: And it's super. So how strange. is it? Still, oh, I just found this. So. NSAIDs are estimated to cause at least 16,000 deaths per year and send 100,000 people to the emergency room in just the U.S. alone. Wow. That is crazy. And And yet there's like this, you know, okay, this causes 16,000 deaths a year, 100,000 people plus in just the U.S., go to the emergency room. And this drug is, you can buy it in a store doctors will prescribe it and and let's let's put a little caveat here doctors are not trying to harm people okay we're not saying doctors are these doctors are bad people they're just doing what they're taught in school and Which i think it's, convention and we have to just rewind okay why are people that are supposed to be helping us with our health giving us substances that actually yield a significant net negative in terms of its effect and i think it's, it, it's because of the way they're taught this the is way they're the biggest taught. problem yeah that, yeah, that's like the the one side
1: of it is like that's the whole conventional side of things. The other side of it is like a lot of people are using these things for the wrong reasons. They're I would say a lot of people are using Advil um, or NSAIDs for like for pain. They're they're using an anti-inflammatory anti-infla- for pain reduction.
0: They're trying. They're searching. So they're searching. They're searching for something to help them.
1: So I've met some of my patients have have been those people who. It be, it's a slippery slope because I think when you see some of these um, negative side effects, um, it's really the people who start to take it more and more. It's the people who are living off of it, the athletes, but also like the older population. I saw some stats on like a lot of elderly people are, are or older populations are taking these things it's like a regular part of their their you know yeah. daily thing daily consumption they're just living off of it because that just kind of dulls that pain a little bit over time yeah it manages so, their symptoms mm-hmm. so you have this thing that kind of manages this low level pain and really it's the whole wrong where it's, it's the wrong thing first of all it's not even meant to manage pain it, that's a side effect of what it does it helps a little bit with that but it really creases all these other things like it blocks inflammation and then, like you say, the side effects. That's just something you can't ignore. Yeah. So it's causing more harm than good in, in most in most cases. I would I would argue, maybe there's there's um, maybe there is some warrant in certain cases where. Um, where it can be beneficial but it's that's probably like a very very small slice of the pie of of cases that it's you and i think that's a lot of for the case of many drugs Mm -hmm. like maybe a certain drug that has all these bad side effects is warranted for this type of person in this situation this time
0: right Mm -hmm. um uh, so it really makes you like the other day i thought of so You know, no, I I put down a note probably like a week or two ago saying we should talk about anti-inflammatories again. And and actually, initially today, we're going to talk about fibromyalgia, ice, and anti-inflammatories. And then me and Mike um, talked before and we're like, you know what, let's just do a whole episode on fibromyalgia and and pain and placebo, nocebo, because it is even crazier than the stuff we're talking about today. So we're going to save that for an episode on its own. But I really started reevaluating like, okay, laws that revolve around drugs you know like why are these laws made right because like advil can or i've kill sixteen thousand people a year mm-hmm. in the states and yet a plant like cannabis that has never killed one person ever no one has ever died from cannabis you can grow it in your backyard it is not processed it is actually proven to be a hugely effective drug is illegal mm-hmm. it's not in canada anymore but in most of the world it is how are people not seeing the blatantly obvious disconnect between what creates what causes a drug to be illegal and you can get punished and put in a cage for using it when you're not hurting anyone else. And what caused the drug to be legal? which if you take enough of it, you can go walk in a a pharmacy right now and you can buy three bottles of Advil and you can consume it and die. Mm -hmm. What is... Like, we need to really... Reevaluate who is making the rules in society and, and what is the motivation behind these rules because it is not for our well being, it is not it's for, for our health, it's for yeah. profit. And this is the most blatant example of it. And it's crazy that you know, democracy is everyone, all the people choose certain individuals to speak on their behalf. Clearly, what people want and what's being spoken on their behalf, something went wrong along the way. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to break, you know, without getting off on too big of a tangent, we need to reevaluate how the hell rules are made in society and what freedoms we have as adult human beings to decide what we want to do and what we don't want to do. And also being able to have access to information about deciding for ourselves what is good and what is bad because... Our perception of it clearly the fact that so many people are eating Advil like chiclets reflects the fact that we're not being given good information. No, and we're not. Be, you know, I think it's really easy to assume that health professionals, whether they're a doctor, physio, chiropractor, massage therapist, know what they're talking about when they give you advice. But the sad reality is that a lot of the things those professionals are taught in school are seriously outdated, and some of the things, like the ones we're talking about today, will actually harm you instead of benefiting you. So we ben- really, yeah, you know, we. This is why we created the Footner Program because. We know what we learned in physio school. We know how outdated it is and how reluctant these programs are to change. There needs to be a better platform to teach people about health and also to teach educators about how to help other people with health.
1: The nice thing is that through this age of information, you're seeing people, doctors, health professionals um, come out and and speak, speak up. They're starting to speak up and you're starting to hear some, a lot of overlapping messages from these people. And these, some people are getting bigger and bigger platforms. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's a good thing. Yeah. But then it's just, it's this weird, I don't know. It's almost like an unsustainable thing. It's going to be unsustainable because you're getting the same thing taught. And then you're getting like cohorts of, of new students coming out of school, being taught one way. And then you're seeing these, these uh, seasoned professionals on the other end of things who have bought, been through it all and figured it out themselves over time speaking up. So it's like, hmm, people... It's it's unfortunate because we're almost caught in a bind. It's like, do we follow convention or do we, do we go with what works? And I think a lot of it is the person has to find out themselves and they really need to come yeah. to that conclusion. But there can be better there needs to be better sources of information and trusted sources of information. But the person really it comes down to that individual and being like, Hey, let's just critically think about things here. Um, what I was taught in school, this doesn't make like, even just looking into the, the NSAIDs things here, like, wait a minute, this fundamentally doesn't make sense. And it's very yeah. simple. Like for, on a simple level, you just look at like these things we've been talking about. And I, and I think that's, that's why this sparks the bigger conversation. Like it's, we're talking about NSAIDs, but it's a bigger conversation about, about the drugs that we prescribe and then an even bigger conversation about some of these other things like the teaching and and uh education
0: system and all of that but so let's go why don't we go through like an actual <clears throat> acute injury yeah and talk, so let's you like one what of most, should be done what should be what's being done why is some of that stuff not good so we kind of briefly talked about ice but let's talk about the actual physiology of what icing an injury does and how and, and basically just explain the background of why it's not effective for mm-hmm. dealing with acute injuries we'll talk about what people typically do for an acute injury and then what people should be doing for an acute injury if if the goal is to optimize healing so heal as good as you can and in as short of a period as you can you know, without sacrificing, you don't want to heal quicker at the expense of healing better, but heal as good as you can and as quickly as you can to get back to normal function. Let's talk about the things you need to do that align with those goals and help you get there. Right. Should we use an ankle we, sprain for... Let's start an with an ankle sprain. And why don't we, then why don't we do uh, like an acute low back injury? Because I mm-hmm. think they're di- they're very different uh, mechanisms. And I think they're, um, they're things that people are going to encounter a lot. So mm-hmm. let's talk about ankle sprains. So... You know, I, I worked with the softball team after we graduated from physio school, and I saw a lot of ankle sprains. And luckily, I saw a lot of them after the point where I realized ice is a stupid thing to do for acute injuries. And this was also, keep in mind, this is at the same time that I would tell people not to ice. And yet the clinic I worked in, which was a very highly ranked, renowned uh, sport medicine organization, was literally sticking people in cryocuffs. cuffs. Okay, a cryocuff is this thing that you strap on your limb that pumps cold water through. It's like ice on steroids. They were using them as the gold standard of treatment for acute injuries. It's so, this is so crazy. These are very smart people. These are yeah. people way smarter than me. And they're doing something that I look at and see as like, this is the dumbest shit ever. This is stopping people <laughs> from healing. This is crazy. Um, so someone goes, they get an ankle sprain. And obviously the first thing you need to do for an acute injury management is make sure there's nothing sinister going on. So someone blows up their ankle running the bases. Okay, it already starts to get inflamed. They have trouble stepping. You know, with the ankle, you go through the auto ankle rules to make sure that there's no fracture. That's the biggest thing you got to make sure. Is is there broken bones? Because if there is, it changes the management significantly. Mm -hmm. Auto ankle rules were basically invented to make sure that not, you know, I think they realized that like a super high percentage, like 90% of people that got an x-ray for an, an ankle sprain didn't need it because 90% of them did not have fractures. So they made these rules to basically be able to rule out most of the people that don't need an x-ray. So you do the auto ankle rules, there's no fracture. Perfect, what do you do now? And what I started doing was number one, I would get the person seeing if they could start to kind of put weight on it, right? Like at this point, the fracture's ruled out, you have the opportunity to either convince your brain that something really bad happened or convince your brain that it's a sprain and you should still be able to use that limb. Mm-hmm. and so you know compression was good i would wrap it up with a tensor band really really tight and a lot of the guys would instantly say i'm gonna go take a couple advil and i'll and, and grab some ice and i would be like okay let's try something different just be open-minded trying something different and so we would compress it i would get them doing ankle alphabets so they spell the movement Some movement, al- movement weight bearing as tolerated some compression some elevation but the biggest thing was keep it moving and mm-hmm. what i found that you know okay so if they took advil they would basically, we just talked about it, they would inhibit the healing response, right? They're stopping the ability of the body to send new nutrients to the site of injury and and the lack of movement if they stopped moving would stop the body from being able to clear the fluid out. We would compress it to avoid a huge congestion of histamines and all that kind of stuff. And what I found with that is the fact that they're moving and activating all these sensors and the fact that we compressed it to prevent a huge buildup of fluid there, they had way less pain. That's what it takes. Way less pain. pain. It's crazy.
1: Movement is is the the master at decreasing pain. That's it's better than any any drug. So yeah, and like you say, it's all it's all it's graded movement. It's not like we're telling them to do, to really uh, put full weight on it and go hard right away.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But it's just this like figuring out thing. It's like how much weight can I? Let's see if I can put some weight through it. Let's see if I can even just pumping the ankle passively mm-hmm. up down up down do circles do the alphabet
0: walking as tolerated. Mm-hmm. Like it was it's very simple stuff. Simple stuff and. Anyway, what I found with a lot of these guys is with the more mild sprains, what usually would have taken them out of a tournament. And some of these guys are literally traveling like three or four hours just to play in a weekend tournament. So this is not, you know, it sucks uh, when something like this happens. Some of these guys were able to play at the tournament at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. right? And whereas before, they would just have this ankle that was blown up, red, swollen, super painful, and they'd be out of commission for a week. And it was like all you had to do was convince your brain that it was okay to keep moving that limb by continuing to move it not doing complete rest avoiding congestion in that area and you know i talking let's talk about the physiological impacts of ice because what does ice do if you stick ice on it well number one the thing that i think most people gravitate towards is it feels better why because you numb the shit out of it you numb the nerves that relay the pain signals and if you're in excruciating pain and you're using ice to feel better maybe that's the only asterisk where okay it's okay to use ice But I think that person still needs to understand the consequences of what ice does in terms of creating a congestion of fluid. Because number one, unless you keep that thing frozen, it's going to thaw, it's going to hurt at some point. Mm -hmm. And, you know, ice vasoconstricts, it shrinks all the vessels, it shrinks the vessels that deliver new fluid and nutrients to that site to heal it. It also shrinks the lymph vessels that clear the fluid away. And if you're basically locking all that shit up, you're sticking, you're keeping all that fluid in that one spot and not letting it escape, not letting it be recycled. And I, the craziest thing is this pitting edema that some people get, where you oh, yeah. the blood literally doesn't go anywhere for so long that it turns into molasses. And I could literally put my thumb in some of these areas, and you take your thumb off, you can see your fingerprint because uh, it just yeah, creates those... like an indentation in Play-Doh. It's so crazy. I've um, seen those
1: before. Those, yeah, on like placements and stuff. You're like, oh, there's a classic example of it. Just, yeah, it's gnarly. It's eh? like a yeah, it's a Plato thing. <laughs>
0: So anyway, so ice vasoconstricts, it stops the healing response. If you're doing complete rest, you're eliminating the ability of that joint to move to, to reduce some of the pain. Um, you're also eliminating the, the muscle pumping action that clears fluid away and brings new fluid in. So, you know, in that case, compression and elevation are okay, but rest has to be relative rest where you're moving. You're still moving, but you're doing it within your realm of tolerance and ice for an acute injury has no place and does not reduce inflammation, it literally just stops the healing process and creates gridlock of all this stuff being stuck in one area, which gives you a whole other host of problems, not to mention, you know, the accumulation of all these histamines that irritate the nerves way beyond that initial stage. Mm-hmm. So, so that's a very different way. And I think for back pain, you can kind of go through uh, the process. But But that's a very different way of managing an acute ankle sprain compared to what's conventionally taught in medicine. And it's a way more effective way, both in decreasing pain, in maintaining mobility and function, and also in the speed and effectiveness of healing. Like on all of these fronts, this is a significantly better way of doing it. And you only need to know basic physiology to understand that. So Mm. how the hell are we so disconnected from understanding basic physiology that most medical practitioners still ice and prescribe rest
1: it is it's whack it is weird <laughs> and you can apply the same things to to back pain which i'll go through a quick example of it because we spent a full podcast on back pain um, that you yeah. can check out before but but cute, back, pain, back pain what you should do what
0: yeah what you so shouldn't.
1: somebody comes in with acute back pain or, or you just you know you throw out your back in quotation marks um <laughs> it, it's it's something that happens a lot. It's happened to me in the past. Like it's it's one of the most common kind of acute injuries that people will get. Um, but one of the things that again that will first, I've heard stories, many many stories, very common to hear people that that would just go on like almost self induced complete bed rest for like a day or two um and it's super super common but i think a lot of times they're they're often if it if they don't self-induce it they, they'll actually uh be told to you know take the day off rest
0: take the week off i've had patients tell me yeah. that
1: it's like, what so what that again i think the 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 biggest thing when it comes to acute low back pain is that it's that relative rest, thing. it's not absolute rest. That's gonna be the worst thing you, you can possibly do for an acute low back injury is just not do anything and yeah, not Everything's gonna stiffen up. It, everything stiffens up and it increases that alarm signal. Again, there's internal inflammation going on there. So you can use the same um, the same logic that we just talked about for the ankle sprain. We don't wanna be icing your back. We don't wanna be taking popping uh, continual Advils the whole time. Um, but I think the biggest thing is that whereas the ankle sprain, the swelling is almost like very obvious and that we go right to the swelling. We we have this like fear of swelling for the acute low back pain. I think it's the, the rest thing that really needs to be, uh, addressed. And we need to be quick at getting things moving again, breaking these alarm signals and it starts very passively. You can get on the ground. The ground's a very safe place to start moving, doing some hip mobility work, doing some rocking, um, doing some basic stuff on the ground, showing your body that it can move, um, breaking that that guarding response breaking that tension that develops that protective response that happens and and as we continue to add movement over, over days and eventually weeks um, but especially in that first 24 hour 48 hours that's when we really need to get on top of it and i think the pain throws people for a loop too in both situations and, and that that's why we look for the rest that's why we look for the anti-inflammatories mm-hmm. you almost need to work through the it's just a hard concept because people are coming to see you for pain but you have to work through some of the pain and
0: you have to contextualize the pain because if you explain what that pain is yeah then people are like okay i'm I'm not going to willfully do something to create my more pain for myself but i understand that a little bit working through some discomfort and not numbing the pain so much that i don't feel it whatsoever with pain drugs working through some discomfort is actually the necessary step required it's the way to to the other side function yeah
1: that's the way out of pain is to work through the pain and, and let it guide you to some extent um And and I think that's just something that um, is hard for people to conceptualize, but it it works wonders. And you can see people, even if you work with them for a session, they come in hardly able to walk and you just get things moving on the ground. It almost serves as like a... it just kind of like distracts you movement is like somewhat of a distraction from what's going on mm-hmm. but it builds that confidence and knowing like okay we, our body can move again we're just getting you know rev the engines up a little bit get things going it takes you out of that alarm mode state and it puts you into more of like okay let's let's start going again
0: let's get back to where we were at um and you're so, almost like romancing the ma- the control center like that's mm-hmm. i gave that analogy to someone one time your brain is the control center its role is to protect you from dying at all at all costs Mm -hmm. right as long as it's doing something to protect your body to protect your spinal cord and your brain um that it doesn't care about what you need to do for work it doesn't care about whether or not you can walk it doesn't give a shit. it just wants you to not do more damage to your body and sometimes it overreacts right it overshoots it thinks that there's something super damaging that happened right you bend over to pick up a pencil and it thinks you snapped your spinal cord in half. So it's gonna say, okay, this is a big problem. Uh, you're not allowed to do anything. You're not even allowed to walk or stand up. You just have to rest because I don't know if your spinal cord's snapped in half, but that's the signals I'm getting, so I'm gonna treat it accordingly. Your job is to essentially prove to the control center that it's making a mistake, right? It doesn't like to be forced to do things. It likes to be shown that things are possible. And so getting on the floor and moving your spine, right like just articulating your spine within your tolerance is basically showing the brain oh okay okay we're moving a bit and you know okay maybe the spinal cord is not snapped in half and you're just romancing it you're you're basically making a case to say this isn't a crazy acute injury i wasn't lifting up a, a 400 pound object as i was twisting i didn't blow my disc out of my spine i just probably strained a muscle because i didn't know i didn't have very good spinal awareness or bracing mechanics strained a little muscle that was loaded with sensors and so you the brain got the signal of a spinal cord injury when in reality it's a small muscle strain so you have to you have to earn the right to get back movement and guess Mm -hmm. what when you freeze the area and numb the nerve and when you stop moving altogether guess what you're doing you're proving to the brain that it was right Mm -hmm. and that you shouldn't be allowed to move and yeah, you sh- exactly. And, you know.
1: So I think in both cases it just shows you that movement is the medicine in this case for these types mm-hmm. of acute injuries and again it, we're we just throw it out there Ob- obviously if we got to check for anything sinister yeah. like Rule fractures red flags, red flags yeah. there's things that you do that you want to check for um but in, in the majority of cases of, of these acute injuries that will happen to almost everybody throughout their lives, yeah. these are the kind of basics that you want to think about. These are, like, even just going into it with this knowledge will help you get through it in a much smoother pathway because yeah. you'll have that sense of control right off the bat. you be like, okay, I sprained my ankle. I know kind of, like, what's involved. It still sucks. It still hurts. still can't walk on it very well at the start. But uh, this is where we need to go. You have that pathway in mind of, like, you know, here's how we're going to deal with it, and it'll be back to, to good in... Uh, in no time if we do it the right way. We've got to respect healing times. We've got to respect all of that too because tissue needs time to heal. Um, and that's another thing is like he, he, that the inflammation is just the first stage of healing. The, the body goes through this beautiful cascade into the other stages of healing. We just got to respect that. But the, if you do the right thing, the body's going to take care of that healing um, itself. You just mm-hmm. kind of got to guide it along the way in the right way, not push it too hard. But, but definitely, I think in most cases, it's we're holding it back
0: way too much. Yeah. Um, so that's where we you need to kind of... think we're helping it but really what we're doing is hindering the ability of the body to heal both quickly and effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, and and a lot of times it's, you know, people basically flip the coin and say, I'm going to take less pain, right? And they don't see the other side of the coin. It's like less pain means it's going to take me way longer to heal. It's eventually, it's going to end up causing more pain eventually. That's the thing. Cause less not pain moving. equals more pain. <laughs> exactly. And it's going to not heal as well. And, you know, even for both those things. So the ankle sprain and uh, the low back, acute low back injuries should never happen so this is one where like if you're if you have good spinal awareness if you have the ability to brace your body in a centered position if you're not crazy and balanced at your hips so that your spine has to do all the work of of flexing forward even you know you can do a lot you can do a lot in a very simple way to prevent acute low back injuries ankle sprains sometimes you just have shitty luck but i think rewinding and saying hmm I wonder if my hip stability is so bad that my ankle is what's vulnerable and I can, you know, I think a lot of people can prevent ankle sprains that happen. These non-contact mm-hmm. ankle sprains. Someone sent made a video on Instagram the other day. Some guy ran a full, did like a full Ironman triathlon and at the end he jumped up to touch the sign in celebration and he came down, he snapped his ankle in half. I was like, you just need, you need to have a basic level of aware, body awareness and hip stability to protect your ankle from rolling over because this should not happen. With that said, if you're playing a sport, you get kicked or you roll off a curb. Sometimes that's bad luck. But guess what? A lot of times you can do a huge amount to protect yourself from these acute injuries. And I think, you know, we can even contrast this to, we won't get acute, into a huge amount of acute or uh, chronic rather inflammation. But I think so many people, this this same approach where we seem to try and take something to cover up acute injuries in terms of the inflammation, we demonize inflammation. There is a certain kind of inflammation that shouldn't be happening and that is bad and that's chronic inflammation, right? Like if you're constantly... So inflammation is this acute response of the body to heal an area that's under threat. Mm -hmm. Guess what? If your internal systems, like your gut, is in constant inflammation, instead of trying to load up and take things to anti-inflame your body or reduce inflammation, why don't you figure out what's causing that in the first Mm -hmm. place? Because the body's not designed to be in a constant state of inflammation. Maybe the stuff that you put in your mouth that you call food is actually what's poisoning and damaging your body and maybe you should reevaluate that instead of just loading up with a bunch of anti-inflammatories or crazy shit you know crazy drugs that try and manage the symptoms of this chronic inflammation without actually dealing with what's causing it and this is Hmm. another crazy thing in the medical community you know doctor we don't talk about food we don't talk about you know even things like basic uh, things like the sleep
1: and uh sleep and rest and recovery too, because a lot, of, I think a lot of people are just in that perpetual stress mode, lack of sleep and you can't heal. It's just basic, again, basic autonomic physiology. You can't heal when you're in fight or flight mode a lot. <laughs> so, so just like everything kind of gets thrown off. This repair process just gets kind of shunted and, or blunted and, and you can't, you can't get through it. So that's a whole other topic and there's, it's multifactorial, but you're right. I think that the biggest thing is we need to... With acute injury, it's like we know what's causing the inflammation. It's like, yeah. okay, well, I sprained my ankle. There it is. Um, with chronic inflammation, I think we just need to be better at looking at the the root causes um, of the inflammation and addressing those so it doesn't... Because, again, it gets back to that drugs to,
0: to block, and then that's the whole cycle again. Yeah. So And it starts... Like, like we said before, it starts with the education system teaching doctors and rehab professionals to give these anti-inflammatories to ice acute injuries to prescribe rest and we we really have to just take a step back and reevaluate like this isn't good advice this isn't you know this whole thing of of do no do no harm the hippocratic oath let's stay honest to that and actually re let's let's do the due diligence to look into the advice we're giving before we start giving it freely because it was given in the past guess what we did stuff way back in the day that we look back on now we're like that was the dumbest stuff ever why did we ever do that but guess what it's okay we learned we learned better we evolve their thinking, we give different advice and that's Mm. okay. If you're learning, you're eventually, if you're constantly learning, you are always going to be wrong at some point. And I think, you know, a doctor that's prescribed anti-inflammatories for acute injuries for 30 years might find it hard to stomach the fact that what, like anti-inflammatories are actually a very harmful thing to prescribe. But it's a doctor that says, oh shit, okay, well, I'm not going to do that anymore and this is why, I understand why and changes, that's what needs to happen. And it's
1: getting away from the people's because it's, it's the population too, because there's this created, there's this expectation that I want something. Yeah, we I'm going to talk in about to, this. interventionism. Yeah. So it's like, if I go into a medical clinic, there's this weird feeling that, well, from the doctor's standpoint, I need to do something for this person. And that yeah. might be in the form of giving them ta- something tangible, like here's a prescription, here's a drug, here's something that's going to to quote unquote, help you from the patient's standpoint, it's like, I'm going here because I want something tangible to help me. Mm-hmm. So when you hear something like, Hey, I'm going to help you guide this, I'm going to guide you to, uh, you know, work through this yourself. The patient's like, Oh, I came here for you to just give me something. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of times we just, I think it's just built in a little bit, unfortunately to our medical model that, um, and it, we can apply this to many other cases, but I think just sticking with this example, um, the feeling that something needs to be done um, is getting in the
0: way of actually what should be done. Yeah. Um, and uh, what's I, gonna What's supposed to happen innately with the body? Yeah. through This perfect response, like it's yeah, that people information feel information like- is this crazy complex thing that we we put a word on it. We we call it one single word, and we think it's kind of like this very basic thing. This is one of the most beautifully engineered mechanisms that, like, find me a machine that can heal itself. We can't because it's so complex. For
1: sure. And and, and I think that is, um, there was a quote by uh, Nassim Taleb, and it says, the non-natural needs to prove its benefits, not the natural. And I think <laughs> yeah. that it just applies in this case as we it's it's weird it's like we need to we need to kind of prove and it happens a lot but we need to prove why we're doing why are we getting in the way of nature and its processes right now there should be a really really good reason we why think we're smarter getting, than
0: it yeah that's the biggest thing
1: it comes down to that so it's like we don't always need to intervene in in all of these new like something that's been around since the 1960s we don't need to use something like that when evolution's been at at work for millions
0: of years um <laughs> so arrogant just, of us it is so Anyway, we hope so acute injury management, number one, if you have an acute injury, make sure you rule out something sinister, right? Make sure you rule out the fracture or the dislocation or the true spine injury, right? Find, you know, look to someone that knows what they're, they're doing has training in this to rule that out. But once it's been ruled out, let your body heal itself and do things to help it instead of hinder it. Hindering it would be taking anti-inflammatories, taking anti-healing drugs, which have we talked about can have a, not only the fact that they're inhibiting healing, but they actually can harm your body based on their effect on your GI system and all this other shit. Um, and you know, avoid ice, ice slows down the healing process. It congests fluid in the area. It stops the natural process of getting nutrients delivered and garbage and waste to be cleared. Um, And then things that you can do, stay moving. Movement is healthy. Movement is you convincing your brain that it's okay to move this area and maintaining mobility. Movement is what facilitates the clearing of of crap that's damaged to leave and new nutrients to arrive. So just make sure that, you know, whether it's someone giving you advice or you doing something that you thought is supposed to be done because it's been done forever and everyone knows the term rice, just reevaluate some of these things because some of these things that are actually harming you more than they're helping you And, you know, like we said, acute injuries are going to happen with everyone. If you use your body, unless you stay in a chair your entire life in a a bubble, um, you're going to have acute injuries and this is fine. And, and, you know, so having acute injuries, number one, try and...
1: Uh, not only that is having acute injuries gets you better at dealing with acute injuries in the future for sure that's the my bet the 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 reason why i've got through all these things. i think that like sports that's just a little side note sports in the past really helped me deal with like little injuries bangs pains all this kind of stuff it's like because you learned you, you get like yeah you get hit enough you get you tweak your ankle enough it's like okay here's how i got over it here's how i'm going to do in the future and you get better every time at doing it so mm-hmm. yeah it's it's just a natural
0: thing yeah you. so you're gonna have injuries try and figure out, is there something I can do to prevent this injury from happening again in, in future? And if not, how do I manage this in a way that gets me better as quick as possible and heal as effectively as possible so that I'm not left with problems after the fact. So anyway, we hope that benefited you. Don't underestimate how important that information is. If you know friends or family or coworkers that have acute injuries and are doing the wrong stuff, explain to them not don't just tell them what to do, but explain to them some some information that might make them rethink a little bit about the way that they're dealing with it. And um, anyway, we hope you enjoyed that and we'll catch you next week.